0: How's everybody doing this morning? Good to see you all. My name is James. I am one of the pastors here at Riverview. We are in week three of our current series. We are taking a leisurely stroll through the book of Colossians. Uh, We've called this series, If Then, um, because the big idea of of the book of Colossians and of our series is, is this, if Jesus is who the Bible says he is... If those who have trusted Jesus are already hidden in heaven with him, then that necessarily changes everything about how we live our lives here on earth. Precisely the the theme of our Vacation Bible School this summer as well, right? Jesus changes everything. And as you just heard from Sam's reading in our passage today, the focus is on what uh, the Bible says, who Paul says Jesus is. Paul provides the Colossian church with a glowing introduction to Jesus. So I'm, I'm a sports fan, so I've seen a lot of introductions, right? Whether it's a, like a boxing match or like a golfer's thing on the first tee or like the MSU basketball team, they're all in the huddle and the lights and the, the music and you know there's always this list of credentials, right? Ladies and gentlemen, 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 right? <laughs> He's a six foot six sophomore out of Grand Rapids, Michigan, or she's a three-time U.S. Open champion, or or he's the heavyweight champion of the world, 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 right? Like that. And I've heard some people introduced who have Hall of Fame resumes, and not one of them can hold a candle to what Paul is saying here about Jesus Christ in Colossians chapter one. Jesus Christ is the GOAT the greatest of all time, hands down, the greatest human being who ever lived and it's not even close. And so that's what we're gonna look at today. If you have your Bible, uh, you can go ahead and open up to Colossians chapter 1, verse 15. And as we read through, we'll have the verses up here on the screen as well so you can follow along there. The two questions that I want us to be thinking about are pretty simple. Do I believe that what Paul says here about Jesus is true? Do I really believe that? And secondly, do I live like I believe what Paul says about Jesus is true? And Paul begins here in Colossians 1, we're starting in verse 15, with the first of four he is statements about Jesus. Okay? So he's like, ladies and gentlemen, let me introduce to you Jesus Christ, and here's the resume. Verse 15 says this, he is, this is talking about Jesus, the image of of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. And so Paul begins this description with two massive overarching truths. He says, Jesus is the image of the invisible God. Another translation there says that Jesus is the visible expression of an invisible God. The fancy Christian word for this is incarnation, right? Uh, Jesus Christ was fully God and fully human at the same time. The easy way for me to remember it, he was God in a bod, right? God became a human being, fully human, fully God at the same time. Then call, God calls Jesus the firstborn over all creation. Now this phrase appears six times in the New Testament and it speaks to the preexistence of Jesus. Jesus is eternal, He was not created. He always has been and he always will be. And it also speaks to his authority in the world. He is over all creation, right? In Psalm 89, there's a series of verses that were written hundreds of years before Jesus came on the scene that foretell the coming Messiah. And verse 27, it says, God is speaking here. He says, I will also make him my firstborn the greatest of the kings of the earth. And so Paul says, uh, the firstborn son of God, the greatest of the kings of the earth, that's Jesus, he is me. And then he continues. He clarifies, verse 16, for everything was created by him, by Jesus, in heaven and on earth, the visible and the invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. Paul is just adding layers, right? I mean, these are stunning, kind of overarching truths. Not only did Jesus exist prior to creation, not only does he have authority over creation, not only is he the savior of creation, he is the creator of everything. And it's like, wait, everything? Yep. Paul's like, yep. The entire earth? Yep. And the heavens, Paul says. The mountains, the turtles, the coffee bean, right? Every visible thing. And then Paul says all the invisible things too. Aromas and sounds and emotions, memories, He talks about rulers and authorities and dominions and and everything else. All things have been created through Jesus Christ and for him. The purpose of every single thing, every single creature, every single person who has ever been made is for Jesus Christ. Everything that exists is here to point the spotlight on Jesus, it's for His glory. It makes sense. He made everything, so He determines the the, the purpose for everything, right? My uh, my wife is away this weekend. She left on Wednesday. She is leading a retreat uh, for a dozen bereaved moms from all over the country. And so, in the days before she left on Wednesday, she was making meals and desserts uh, for the group, all from scratch. And so um, she made barbecue chicken and fajitas and cheesy stuffed shells and super gooey brownies. And so my son Jay and I, we would come home, we'd be like, oh, what's going on over there? (laughs) Like, uh, are are we about to be a part of this, you know, kind of a thing? And so she, my Laura would say, okay, look, the stuff in the fridge, I've got that labeled, don't touch that. That's for the ladies weekend. The stuff I made extra for you guys, it's on the stove, that's your stuff, right? It makes sense. She made the food, so she has authority over who gets to eat the food, right? (laughs) Paul continues, verse 17. He, still talking about Jesus, is before all things, and look at this one, and by him all things hold Together, it almost feels like Paul is just being absurd now, right? I mean, look what he says so far Jesus is eternal, He is divine, He's the creator and savior of everything, He's omnipresent, which means He's everywhere all the time, He's omniscient, which means He knows everything, He's omnipotent, which means He has power over everything, He's sovereign which means he's in control. And by him, Paul says, everything holds together. He didn't just create the world and set it in motion and then go to work on another project, right? He's actively maintaining all of creation, the seasons, the tides, every single breath that you take, every time your heart pumps another beat, Jesus is facilitating all of it. Now, let's stop for a moment Just with those three verses and think about our two questions. Do you believe really what Paul has said here about Jesus? Do you believe those truths? Do you live like you believe they're true? Pew Research um, conducts annual surveys about matters of faith And their findings consistently show that most Americans believe in God or some higher power. That number is like over 90%. A smaller group of people believe that God was somehow actively involved in the creation of the earth that number is closer to 80%. And then an even smaller group of people believe somehow in the God of the Bible, in Jesus. That number is hovering around 50%. That's just surveys of people in our country. So we know there's a wide range of beliefs about God and creation in our culture. In first century Colossae, that was the recipient of this letter, this was also true then. It was a very pluralistic city, right? Greeks And Romans, Jews, we have this growing Christian community, lots of different pagan religions there. Colossae was actually part of a triangle of cities along with Hierapolis and Laodicea this is in central Turkey and you can see sort of some of Paul and the other folks that their church planning efforts. Paul references Laodicea in chapter 2 as kind of a co-recipient of this letter to the Colossians and then in chapter 4 he mentions both Laodicea and Heropolis. Many scholars believe Epaphras if you remember was probably the church planner in Colossae that maybe he did plant all three of these churches and they were all sort of collectively passing Paul's letter around here amongst them. When they excavated Laodicea, they uncovered multiple temples to Greek gods. The two biggest ones were Zeus and Apollo. And in the Greco-Roman world, those gods were believed to have created and sustained the world, right? Zeus and his sons, if you go back and read the mythology, were responsible for the creation of men And animals, and Apollo gives us light. He keeps the light lit, right? And Asclepius is the god of healing, and Demeter gives us bread, and they had a different kind of god for each way the world is sustained. In our culture, it seems to me that the biggest alternative theory to the idea of Jesus as the creator and sustainer of everything is not typically belief in other gods, it's kind of like belief in nothing. The idea is that we're here by random chance and that we're kind of on our own, right? That's a pretty prevalent belief in our society. Carl Sagan was one of the most famous proponents of this ideology. Um, He and his wife co-authored and produced the the PBS series, The Cosmos. I don't know if you have ever seen that. Um, It has been viewed by over 500 million people. And it sort of was this worldview sort of looking at the world through that lens. When Carl Sagan died in 1996, his wife shared these reflections. She said, When my husband died, he was so famous for being a non believer that many people asked me if Carl had ever changed and become a believer in life after death. She said, I don't expect to be reunited with Carl. We never trivialize the meaning of death by pretending it was anything other than a definitive separation. Every moment we were alive and together was miraculous. We knew we had been favored by chance. That pure chance has been so generous and kind as to allow us to find each other, that we were able to be together for 20 years. That is something that sustains me and is much more meaningful than the idea of seeing him again someday. And I got to tell you, I find that perspective to be incredibly heartbreaking. Can you imagine the lack of hope that a person would have walking through that life? It just makes me so sad to read that. And I also find it interesting that she speaks of the meaning of death and describes chance, right? Chance as having been generous and kind and showing her favor These ideas represent the opposite of her stated belief that everything is random, right? By definition, chance is the occurrence of events in the absence of any design, right? And so chance has no will. Chance has no emotion. Chance has no power. She describes her marriage to Carl as having been miraculous. You know what miraculous means, literally? Occurring through divine or supernatural intervention, And so these realities that she describes, purpose and generosity and kindness and favors and and, and the the miraculous involvement of God, these are consistent with Colossians chapter 1. There is a God named Jesus Christ who is generous and kind and miraculously active in the world that he created. His fingerprints, his design, his purpose are everywhere and obvious all the time, all around us. No loving human relationship would ever have existed apart from Jesus Christ. It's part of his design. It's part of his way of showing himself to us. So, my friend Matt recently told me a a horrible story. Um, And I'll spare you the gory details, but it involves his toddler and a Q tip and the rupture of one of his eardrums, okay? And so, Matt told me it felt like someone had fired off a gun, like right next to his head. And the next thing you know, he's like lying on the floor in his bathroom, and he's screaming. There's blood coming out of his ear. His wife is a nurse, and she's trying to figure out, what the heck happened here? Like, this is terrible. And they finally get to the ER, and the doc says, yep, you've got a ruptured eardrum. And he's like, and he's got this ringing. And he's like, so what do I do now? Do I, Is it surgery, or, or uh, do I have eardrops? Something, you got to help me. And the doc said, no. Just wait about a month and you'll be fine. It'll just heal. And he was like, what? That's crazy. In fact, Matt told me his injured ear now tests better for hearing than the other one did. I wish I could have been there when God sat down with his design team to figure out the human ear. (laughs) That would be a fun meeting to be part of. Okay, they're going to need to communicate but the waves will be invisible. <laughs> Voices will or, all sort of sound the same, but everybody's voice has to sound a little bit different because every single person's gonna have their own unique voice. Well, what should we do? Should we put more holes in their head? I mean, they've already got a lot of holes in their head. They're like, <laughs> they got the cameras and then the, they gotta take in the nutrition and all that. Well, put them on the sides. I think on the sides is good, right? Well, won't they get infected? A lot of times they'll get infected, Yeah. <laughs> Put some little, like, waxy stuff in there to capture all the bacteria, right? Let's give them two. Well, how, I mean, is the sound, like, okay, put some little cups with, like, little sound water slides, like, well, won't they look funny? Some of them are going to look really funny, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. The human ear is a miracle, like I'm a nerd on all this stuff So I've been reading I, I couldn't even begin to describe you The tympanic membrane, the eardrum That captures all the sound That separates your outer ear From your inner ear Is like about a quarter of the diameter of a penny And it's .1 millimeters thick It's just like this little tiny little thing And there's those like, tiny little bones in there And the fluid, he's like Make it do the balance too Like, put some fluid in there. I think there's fluid involved, right? It's a design masterpiece. The fact that human ears exist and that they keep working (laughs) practically shouts to the world that there's a brilliant and powerful designer. And the ear is just one of Dozens of intricate systems, just in the human body alone. Our central nervous system is incredible. Uh, the pulmonary, the way it all can—I mean, it's just—it's just a—it's uh, just amazing. Any of us make it through a day. It's incredible. Now, with God making Himself so obvious through creation, why do so many doubt His presence? Why is it difficult to believe? that God is, in fact, the creator and sustainer of everything. I think there's a number of reasons for that, but two come to my mind. One is I think pride plays a big role because God in his creation has empowered us humans as like co-creators, like little sub-creators. We can do stuff, right? And we have a tendency to take credit for anything good that happens to ourselves, right? Something bad happens, like, where were you, God? Something good happens is like, dude, I am killing it, right? Dude, my fitness regime is awesome. And that's why, you know, or whatever, right? We think I'm holding things together. I think the other struggle people have is this idea of, okay, let's talk about this. If God is holding things together, I don't think he's doing such a good job. You call this holding everything together? If God is in control, then why? And you can just fill in the blank there. Everybody's got that question. And I get that. There are days, there are weeks even, where there is so much loss and pain and brokenness in our world that it's almost like, what is going on? I mean, it's just unbearable, right? Amen? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, for me, for me recently, it's like, how about if no more students get randomly shot while they're standing in their, or they're sitting in their classroom, their college lecture hall, or because they pulled into the wrong driveway, right? How about no more parents or grandparents get that phone call? How heartbreaking, how terrible some of the things that happen in our world. Pride and brokenness and people doing evil things That's nothing new. If you look at Psalm chapter 94, this was written 2,700 years ago, and it could have been written this morning. Verse three says, "'Lord, how long will the wicked, "'how long will the wicked celebrate? "'They pour out arrogant words. "'All the evildoers boast.'" You see the pride there. "'Lord, they crush your people. "'They oppress your heritage. They kill the widow and the resident alien and murder the fatherless. The vulnerable, the the refugee, the orphan, the widow among us, take on the brunt of the oppression and abuse, oftentimes in our culture. They say the Lord doesn't see it. The God of Jacob doesn't pay attention. And then it says this this is just me reading the Bible. Pay attention, you stupid people. Dude, did the pastor just call us stupid? No. God did, right here. (laughs) Psalm 94. I agree, though. I'm I'm with him. I'm I'm one of the stupid people. Pay attention, you stupid people. Fools, when will you be wise? And then he kind of turns it. Can the one who shaped the ear not hear? The one who formed the eye not see? See, the world that God created has been tarnished by sin. It can be an awful place filled with pride, wickedness, and arrogance. It can be a beautiful place filled with love and reconciliation in these moments where it's like, man, God, thank you for giving us that, right? There are many... Uh, who believe that God does not see, that he's not paying attention. And, and, and there's sort of this, I think in our culture we tend to just sort of maybe not kill you know, or crush vulnerable people, but sort of just walk on by, right? Maybe there's just a, a, a blindness to it. Widows and orphans and refugees do face oppression. And in the face of pain and brokenness, some wonder, is God really there? Is he trustworthy? Does he care? And that's foolishness. The one who shaped the ear hears, he does. The one who shaped the eye sees. We can trust the God who made us. Look at these four promises. If you read farther down in this same Psalm, verse 14 says, the Lord will not leave his people or abandon his heritage. God is present. Verse 18, if I say my foot is slipping... Sometimes we feel like our foot is slipping. Your faithful love will support me, Lord. God is faithful. Verse 19, when I am filled with cares, anybody filled with cares? Your comfort brings me joy. Verse 22, but the Lord is my refuge. My God is the rock of my protection. Because God has made us for a purpose. Because in Christ, God has saved us, we can trust that God will sustain us. He is present. He is faithful. He comforts. He brings joy. He has been faithful for generations, we just sang. Why would he fail now, right? He protects us. And as Christians, as people who have define themselves as followers of Jesus which is many of us here in this room our job then is to embody those distinctive characteristics of God in a world that desperately needs to know him but isn't sure if he exists or if he is can be trusted right and that's how Paul continues here in Colossians 1 he says this is verse 18 He is, this is statement number three of his he is little run here, also the head of the body, the church, and then the fourth statement, he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead so that he might come to have first place in everything. The Bible, the big Christian word there is preeminence. He is first over everything. Let's talk about Jesus being the head of the body the church. So, weeks after Jesus rose from the dead, he ascended to heaven, and then he sent his Spirit to indwell every one of his followers. The Holy Spirit. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ here today, the Spirit of God, God Himself, lives inside of you. And since those early days of the church, uh, the collective church has now become. The body of Jesus Christ in the world with Jesus as the head. We are God in a bod, right? Jesus leads the way with his vision, his wisdom, his mission. We follow his example from his the wisdom of his word. And from our study of Mark, we know what kind of person Jesus was, what he did, what he said with his life. He entered our broken world. He didn't shy away from being involved in hard places or with people with difficult backgrounds. He lived sacrificially. He spoke truth. He healed. He showed mercy. Then he gave his life and he conquered death on our behalf. And we are here now to embody those characteristics in a world that has a lot of trouble acknowledging him. And I wonder how we're doing. I feel like sometimes we're killing it and sometimes we fall short. Jesus Christ has the greatest resume of all time. We ought to be alternately shouting for joy and falling on our faces in worship and then doing everything we can to convince as many people as we can that he is who he says he is. 2 Corinthians chapter five, this is another letter that Paul wrote in verse 11. Paul says, therefore, since we know the fear of the God, if, right, that's the if, If God is who he says he is, we try to persuade people. I love that. That's the then, right? Verse 14, for the love of Christ compels us since we have reached this conclusion that one, that's Jesus, died for all and therefore all died and he died for all so that those who live should no longer live for themselves but for the one who died for them and was raised. Verse 18, everything, I'm sorry, verse 16. From now on, we do not know anyone from a worldly perspective. Everything is from God who has reconciled us to himself through Christ and given us the ministry of reconciliation. He has committed the message of reconciliation to us. That's the if then. If, if uh, we have... Uh, we know the fear of the Lord, we no longer then live for ourselves. We no longer see others from a worldly perspective. Instead, as ministers of reconciliation, we live to persuade people that they would be reconciled to God through Jesus Christ, who has already done all of the heavy lifting. We don't have to save anyone, right? So I wanna finish with a story. So even though we haven't seen each other for a long time, my, my friend Dave, he's always been one of my favorite people. He's like around 50 years old. Um, he's a really smart guy. He he lives in Seattle. He works for Google, okay? He's that kind of guy. And he's got this wonderful wife. Her name is Laura, same name as my wife. He's got two young kids. He and his wife have always, since I've known him, been very open about not believing in God. Not angry about it. Not They, they love... You know, have respect for people who have different beliefs. That's just been their worldview. And so, about two years ago, Dave got this very terrible diagnosis of an aggressive cancer in his spine. And it's completely ruined his life. He's had multiple surgery, chemotherapy, radiation. He spent most of the last two years in the hospital or in his bed at home. He can't work, he can't play with his kids. It's just very, very terrible. At the same time, his wife, Laura, is an incredible writer. And she's been posting these very, very powerful, raw, very beautiful updates on Dave's condition and how it's been impacting their lives. Very, very transparent. I mean, whenever one pops up, you get a chance to read it. It's just so powerful. And then Dave started posting these short little video stories from his hospital bed. That are equally powerful and heartbreaking. And his most recent one was called. Dave's first prayer in 35 years. And he talked about this. This is going to be hard for me. Because I've been praying for Dave. And I just love him. I want him to, to get to know Jesus. He talked about this caregiver at the hospital. Named Edward. And so because of the tumors on Dave's spine, his central nervous system is compromised. And see, so often, just being blunt, he goes to the bathroom in his bed and he can't control it. And so he pushes the button and Edward comes in to clean him up. And Dave said, I, I didn't even realize I was doing this, but every time Edward would come in, I would say, I'm sorry, Edward. And he would always, every time reply, don't, don't say sorry, Dave. And I would say, but Edward, I just, I messed the bed again. And And now you have to clean it up. And I just, I feel bad. And finally, one day, Dave said, I said to Edward, why do you always tell me not to say sorry? And Edward said, you know, Dave, this is what I've chosen to do with my life. And I love what I do. Because the truth is, Dave, my heart breaks for you. And I'm sorry for what you're going through. And this way I get to meet fantastic people like you and pray for you. And show kindness and care for you. And Dave was like, whoa. He said, that made a huge impression on me. I always assumed a person who cleaned up crap for a living didn't have any other choices, you know? And I could tell that Edward always wanted to be there. And so I started saying thank you instead of I'm sorry when Edward would come in. And there was one time I slipped. I said, I'm sorry again. And before I could catch myself, Edward turned. He looked at me. He said, Dave, don't say sorry. Sorry. I can only pray that one day when I find myself in your situation, there is someone to care for me in the way I get to care for you. And then Dave said, without even thinking, I said, you know, Edward, I hope you're never in my situation. I will pray that for you. And those words came out of Dave's mouth and he was like, I didn't even realize what I was saying. And so that night, Dave said his first prayer in 35 years. God I pray for Edward that he's never in my situation. Amen. And he said this. You know what? Immediately I felt better. He said, I always thought prayer was for the person being wished for. And I don't know what happened with my prayer when it went out there. But I never thought about how it would impact the wish-er. He said, I was really surprised at how big of a difference, man. I felt peace. I felt different. He said, I've been praying several more times at night. Folks, that's our mission as the body of Christ. We should not be surprised by the brokenness in our world. We should instead ask ourselves, how can we display the love of Christ through it? And we do that by choosing to enter the lives of vulnerable people. And there's nobody that feels more vulnerable than a person in a hospital bed that can't control their body, right? We make meals for bereaved moms. We visit the sick. Yesterday, I officiated a memorial service. It was held at this little golf club, or golf clubhouse, little golf course. And so I headed over there, I was like, I mean, nobody really wants to go to a memorial service. It's a hard thing. Sacrificial, but you do it. Care about the people. I thought this could be a little small thing. It's a little golf, you know, clubhouse. There were hundreds of people. Just kept flooding in. We couldn't fit them all in the room. People were parked up the road. Down this big country road. I was blown away. And all that said to the people who this this man who had passed away was, "We love you. We're here for you. This is a vulnerable time for you. Know that we love you. Right." In Edward's case, we can choose to clean up after someone who keeps making a mess. And as we do that, we embody God's presence, God's kindness, God's sacrifice, God's perspective. That's what people who believe that God made us and has a purpose for us, that's how we live. We don't pray on vulnerable people, we pray for them. And God used these terrible circumstances to bring Edward into Dave's life. And Edward's consistent presence and comfort and kindness compelled a person who doesn't, at least from what they say, believe in God to pray for the first time in 35 years. And God responded with supernatural comfort. That's the ministry of reconciliation. Let's sing some more. I'm gonna have the band come on up and join us on stage. Uh, If you are able, go ahead and stand And I'm gonna read this last uh, verse uh, from this section here in Colossians chapter one, verses 19 through 20 as uh, kind of our closing uh, prayer together. And then um, we'll just have some more wonderful time of, of singing together. It says this, For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in Jesus Christ. And through him to reconcile everything to himself, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Amen.